humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 202, and I sat down with Lauren Holiday. She talks about her life, uh, childhood, the adventures on the road, being homeless for a hot minute, uh, discovering her belief system, all sorts of really interesting, fascinating things. And what I love about this show, doing this show, I should say, is that I get to sit down with people who have all these stories, but the bottom line is I always find something when, when they're talking. I'm like, oh yeah, I get that. that. That's me. And I feel like anyone listening, I hope people listening have those moments too where they, they hear something and I think, oh yeah, I experienced that. That, that sounds familiar to my life, and I think, well, that's what the great unifier is. Maybe I'm waxing poetic right now. I have had a martini, I'm not going to lie. We are in a global pandemic, and things are weird. Things are really weird. But in all the chaos and all the crazy, I'm really delighted to see how much people are coming together and offering help and willing to support each other and... I do believe that sometimes we are at our greatest when things are at its worst. I hope that's true. I, th- I think it's true. I hope you all stay safe and stay kind and have patience. Huge shout out to doctors and nurses and uh, emergency workers and firefighters and police and grocery store clerks and janitors and all the people that really are on the front lines right now that are trying to fight this thing for us thank you thank you for what you do and man i'm i'm sure it's you're exhausted and people are grumpy and they want their toilet paper and they want answers and sometimes there aren't any answers and sometimes there isn't any toilet paper (laughs) as i have found anyway I don't know, I just, it's this sort of stuff makes me think a lot about humanity and what we're all doing and how we're all handling things. Hang in there. Hang in there. Be kind. Usual stuff. Hey Human Podcast is on Facebook and Instagram. Susan Ruthism on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Email me at heyhumanpodcast.com. Remember the links page over there at heyhumanpodcast.com. I curate the list every week, so definitely go and check that out. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for doing all the things you do. Thanks for hanging on when things seem insurmountable. Because really, at the end of the day... um, which my best friend Ellen hates that phrase, by the way. So, sorry, Ellen. But at the end of the day, we really need each other. And the past couple weeks have proven that, I think, (laughs) quite a bit. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the words of encouragement are other than just hang in there and stay home, keep your distance. If you're sick, I pray to God you get better. And, uh, yeah, love you. Hang on. Here we go. Here we go. (sighs) 
Lauren Holiday, welcome to Hey Human. Hi, Susan. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. In my little room. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> I like it too. I want to ask you about all these books. How's that one? Oh, it's great. It's funny. Yeah. Chelsea Handler, are you there, Vodka? It's me, Chelsea. It's very funny. Yeah. I like her because she's so irreverent. You know, she mm-hmm. just does, she gives no fucks. Yeah. I <laughs> she's think- the honey badger of females i feel like i yeah she's one of the reasons i i, I like her comedy so much because she doesn't give a fuck yeah she's and she just, never seems to be trying that hard no it's really it's honest like, it seems very genuine and just yeah. like this is who i am like if you're just hanging i out really don't her. care how you feel about yeah, me yeah exactly yeah. and i mean that can be said about a lot of comics i suppose but there's something more mm, her style is very funny though too. yeah she's just her perspective and she doesn't care if you don't like her I mean, at least her character, whether she's like uh, a real Yeah, life. I mean... It's, and she owns her sexuality, which I really like. Yes. She's, you know, she's got great tits. She's she not does. afraid to show them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she has a great body. Yeah. <laughs> she does. I can't tell if she's tall or short. Because she's, she's, she's very just, muscular and compact. Yeah. I, I follow um, her trainer, Ben... Is it Bont... Something of a B. Bont, Bonning or something like... This is... Neither here nor there. But um, <laughs> he trains a lot of people. And I just... I like how he's transformed a lot of women's bodies and stuff is it too warm in here it's a little warm but i was thinking it's because i had this on okay. i can totally take this off let me know oh. i've got to figure that out because there's no it's a closet right so there's no you have no vent oh no might be warm in the summer feels, uh, feels okay right of, now i'm kind of concerned about that yeah i don't know but anyway lauren hi hi <laughs> and we're back and, and scene <laughs> and we're back i i met you at the second city Yes. That's correct. Yeah, but I didn't really get to talk to you until the Christmas party. I know. It actually took me a minute to, like, I knew that I recognized you when I saw you at the holiday party, but it took me a while to be like, the drop-ins. Yes. That I had to think yeah, of cause you where I had seen Wednesdays you at Wednesdays and City. Saturdays. Are, that's the drop-in days. All those Saturdays don't happen a whole lot to yeah. my sadness. Yeah. Because Adam Peacock, he teaches he, Saturdays, great, huh? and he's fantastic. Yeah. And he's, I just switched from... The Monday class to the Saturday for conservatory. Oh, well, and then I'll see you every weekend. Then. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, but Adam now is teaching Monday, and I'm not sure who's teaching Saturday. But yeah. you know, these are the things. Anyway, back yeah. to you. Hello. Hi. <laughs> uh, let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? I am from Kansas City, Missouri, originally. Okay. Good growing up. Bad growing up. Fun. Terrible. Uh, it's a. It's a, actually a good place to grow up if you um, just want a nice, pleasant simple you know uh kind of artistic it's actually a fairly artistic place i was surprised when i moved out to the west coast i thought i want to be in a more artistic environment and i got out there i was like kansas city was had more artistic qualities than this they had you know a great symphony and a great uh uh few museums down there they have an opera they have a ballet they you know they have great children's theater i love a lot of um, painting places you can go to learn to paint i was just like oh this is actually a better arts community why did you leave to come to the west coast then was it because you thought there were better uh you know in in the beginning honestly the original idea happened when i was eight because we used to go to the west coast a lot when i was a kid and rather than just fly right into 
L.A. or into Orange County, we would fly into San Diego and drive up the coast. And we go back down to San Diego to leave. And when you leave San Diego, the airport's so small that you have to, like, fly out over the ocean mm -hmm. because there's a mountain right there. So mm -hmm. you can't just go straight east. You have to go out west and then back and gain height and go up. And I looked down out of the... And I was like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. I, I want to live here someday. So I kind of had this idea germinating from the time I was a little kid, but I didn't know why. Mm. And so at 25, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take a vacation out there, and if I love it, if I can either find a job or I can find a place to live, I'm moving. Was your family cool with that, or did they think you were crazy? Uh, I think they probably thought I was a little bit nuts, because it was kind of on a whim. It wasn't like I, it wasn't this planned out thing that I had forever and ever. I just needed a change, and I wasn't. I was around these people that I'd been around for so long that I kind of realized I'm not going to be a different person around these people. I tried. It's not happening. I need a new place to start. What and so was it was, about being there you didn't <clears throat> that you didn't like or what was it about um, I wasn't happy and I wasn't finding a lot of what I really wanted to do and there was you know there's so much winter and so much mm -hmm. summer you're like you're indoors a lot and all I was doing was just smoking weed and like partying mm -hmm. and not really trying that hard and I woke up one day, I was 25, and I'm like, shit. Did I you go to college halfway. there? or I did. I, I didn't finish. Okay. I went to um, the University of Missouri, Kansas City mm -hmm. to get my degree in music. And music composition was what I... Like, I always wanted to write movie music. So for it was something about the entertainment industry my whole life was like, that's what I was going to be in. Whether it was a writer or a music writer or an actor or a voice artist. Something about that was always calling to me. Yeah. So, and yeah. what happened when you got to L.A.? Uh, well, I moved to San Diego first. Oh, Actually, Diego, right. yeah, I lived there for 15 years. Um, I met the woman that I fell in love with and married like within a month of me being there. Wow, that's fast. So, yeah, and I was kind of told that. I actually went and saw a psychic that was, she, she does astrology and uses her psychic impressions of the astrology. And she's like, you're moving, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about moving. She's like, you're going to meet somebody like almost right away. I was like, oh. Mm. Okay, well, that's fun information to have. And so many things she was right about, but I was like, okay. So I'd been there three weeks and I was like, okay, where's this girl? Where's this mysterious person that I'm supposed to meet? And I'm like, I, I'll go to the bar, see what happens. And I met this woman who I ended up falling in love with. And we were the only two people in the bar. Oh, really? It was... <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> it was Super Bowl Sunday, and we were the only two idiot lesbians that didn't know that the Super Bowl was happening literally in San Diego. So you could tell we had something in common right away. That She'd just come so from the funny. opera. She was, like, dressed to the nines. I'm just like, who is this woman? So, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Now, did you know the minute you saw her that she was going to be the person or... Um, I, I don't, I, well, the thing is we were on opposite ends of the bar and we kept kind of doing that thing where we're like looking at each other, you know, and then she'd look at me and I'd look at her and then finally she got up and walked towards me and my heart did that little, <gasps> oh. I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to talk to me. She's really cute, you know? And so I don't know if I knew in that moment, but I knew there was something that I was excited about to get to meet her. Sure. And then like three hours went by, which is hard to do sitting in a bar. Yeah. In that loud, and it was like, oh wow, three hours just went by. Sure. And we exchanged phone numbers, and I was like, I was all excited to meet her again. So I knew something was there, but I didn't know like. Was she older, or same age? She's ten years older than me. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I was twenty-five, and she was thirty-five when mm -hmm. we met. I often wonder when I think about you know because I've had readings before, and I think, okay, now you're giving me this information for me to take and go do 
whatever I do with it. But there's that little whisper in your ear, like, well, you should probably go out because supposedly you're going to meet somebody. Yes. And so it's that thing of you like, did know, you like, facilitate the thing or did the thing facilitate right. you? How much of that was you going, and okay, maybe well, all, I had this reading. Yeah. And maybe it's all, oh, shit. You know what I just realized? Is that blinking? Oh, thank God. Oh. Oh, it's no. not blinking, right? <laughs> no, I was like, blinking. oh, shit, I forgot to take the thingy, but it's fine. Okay, okay. thank God. Um, but yeah, like, you, you don't know. Like, I might maybe, never have gone out if I hadn't had that and thought, okay, well, haven't, why haven't I met this person Sure, yet? and maybe because you... Do you, do yeah, you, it's, it's like, like a circle. I had that expectation, so maybe that's the night she decided to go to the bar, but otherwise she wouldn't have. Who or, knows? Who knows? But it's fun to think about. Yeah, because she's told me even, like, I never come here. It just happened to be, like, close to where I went to the opera, and I didn't want to quite go home yet because I was really exhilarated after the... Yeah, the opera's you know, amazing. I love the opera. She'd never been, so it was oh, just really? like, this was a new thing for her. Do you her remember what she saw? Just out of curiosity. I think. I want to say she saw the magic flute. Okay, good one. Very yeah, good. Yeah, but then we immediately went to, like, cartoons and mm-hmm. and uh, the the porky pig thing sure. cartoons have a lot of opera in them exactly yeah, and the moment we connected on that i was like you don't understand like you just spoke to my soul because oh. that is that's me that's like yeah you have a lot of cartoony stuff at your yeah apartment i think i remember seeing that yeah or was that my imagination between the music and the the animation yeah. and voiceover like it was all i was just like oh my god I can't wow. believe this is happening right now. So how long until you got married? You got married, right? We got married, but it wasn't legal until 2008. Mm. So we were domestic partners until then mm-hmm. and never really thought that we would even have the opportunity to get married. So it wasn't anything that was in my head. Um, Did getting married change? I, I, I often wonder that. People, you know, you, you hear about couples that yeah. are together for years and years and years and years. Everything's yes. copacetic. And then they go and get married. Yes. And then they're broken up. And I often want to say, is it because they did the marriage thing to try and fix maybe something that yeah. was wrong? Or is it just the the realization of, oh, my God, now I'm supposedly oh trapped because this piece of paper <gasps> says is, I'm trapped. Yeah, exactly. I, I think in my case, um, it was kind of already starting to be the beginning of the end by the time we got married because we were 11 years in at that point. And is that in the world record for lesbian couples? Could be, could be. Because <laughs> yeah, there's always that joke. Of, what do what is it? What do lesbians do on a first date? They gonna move in together, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, gotta you hold together. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty quick. Like within three months or so, we were like exclusive, mm. and then uh, we moved in together within well within a year, which is I guess kind of a regular time frame. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's, that's pretty long for and you'd lesbians. always dated girls not <laughs> no i i'm bisexual okay um but i knew that i was looking for a relationship with a woman um I, at that time i kind of thought maybe i was only going to ever be with women mm. and so i wasn't really looking for anything outside of that and as soon as i met her i was like oh well this is it so you know yeah yeah and then we were only married three years so it was like that thing of like <sighs> wow i don't know if the psychological thing of us being married had an effect but mm. I do think we were sort of starting to be at the beginning of the end and the marriage revitalized things and maybe we lasted longer than we would have or or it made things better for a while and then but like we were kind of slowly moving apart because uh, I was so young when we got together and I didn't mm. really know who I was and oh yeah that's a know, big growth spurt between 25 and 30 yeah 35. and at 35 so I was 36 at this point and then sure. started doing stand-up comedy and like sort of got an idea of who I wanted to be and it didn't really fit in with who we were together as a couple and so as supportive as she was 
it, we kind of like sort of millimeter started growing apart yeah. at that point. And, and I, so. I feel like too, if you, and of course, uh, as a straight person, I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel like if I were told I couldn't do something, like get married to the person I love, and then suddenly it became available to me, I'd be like, fuck yeah, let's do this. Yeah. You know, because I've been oppressed by it for exactly. so long. Yeah, we did. We got married in six weeks. We put an entire wedding together in six weeks because we knew, like we saw it coming of like, oh, this seems more like an open enrollment period than an actual, like, this is going to be legal. And that's exactly what it turned out to be because by the time the vote came around, it was illegal again. So if we hadn't got married in that six-week period, it wouldn't have, like, we would have had to wait another few years. Isn't that wild? So, yeah. So crazy to me. Yeah. <laughs> that anyone can. So just, oddly enough, my only legal marriage has been to a woman. <laughs> <laughs> have, you had other, have you been married more than once? No. No. No, just just to her. And so I'm divorced in California, yet n- single, never married in the rest of the country. Because at that time, like the federal government didn't acknowledge it. So I never know what to do on my taxes. I'm like, I think I'm single, but I still live in California. So I, oh, I like, I'm divorced for my state taxes, and I'm single for my federal taxes. And what a weird conundrum! It's so stupid. Yeah, it is pretty stupid. Uh, okay, so what happens then? You uh, get divorced, mm-hmm. and now you're in a new frame of. All right, now I'm on my own again. Yes. What did you What did you do? Well, I was pursuing stand up comedy at that time, and so I really like focused because I was so heartbroken I kind of really focused heavily on my professional life and like okay this is the whole reason that I'm single now basically is I've found this new person that I want to be so let's put everything into that what was different about the person you were versus that person Uh, that was about to embark on this new journey I think mainly because I had always not known what I wanted so I was very supportive of her we ran a business together we worked together 24-7, we lived together, we built this business. And once it sort of became clear that I wasn't, I knew what I wanted to do was like, well, I suddenly didn't want to be running this business with her. I wanted to finally, like, I'm 35 now, I finally know what I want to do, I got to follow this. And like I said, as supportive as she was, she still needed this other person there to help her run the business and like, Mm -hmm. you know, be in that relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. And what was your humor? What, what was your stand-up like? What, what was your thing? You know how everybody's got, like, whatever, um, uh, non-sequiturs or music or, you know, whatever yeah. it is. What was yours? Uh, I did a lot of act-outs. and what I, is that? Act-outs where you're... Uh, that's where you actually almost... It's like an acting gig almost where you're performing the story mm. as the person in the story. Oh, that's fun. And then... Uh, like a, a monologist or... No, more. It's definitely in joke format, but you're, but there's physicality to it. Like you're, you're acting out the action of the story. Got it. So rather than stand there and tell tell it, I would get into the movement and the, you know, the position of the story. I had a story about like the way my dad used to drive me on the back of the car sledding, but we had a Baja bug. So he didn't think about like, you know, when he went downhill, he would stop and the sled would keep going. And so I was on a stool, like with my feet up in the air, trying to put, you know, position my feet up on the Baja bug so I didn't end up in the engine. And yeah. so you're it's acting out physical. the story. Yeah. yeah. And then, and a, a lot of like perspective, like my perspective on very situational things in my life. So, how did you do as a stand up? Um, I did pretty well. Like, I got to where I did it for four years and 
you know, it's, it's one of those odd jobs where it's on the job training. Yeah. You can't really like <laughs> practice it other than being on stage. So in general, I you're think. not good when you start. Sure. You're just not. You, you're the very rare person that walks up on stage and just is just funny right away and has the timing and understands the flow of like how to go from one type of joke or set of jokes to the next set and how they fit together mm -hmm. and how to adjust that on the spot like when you have an audience that isn't reactive to certain things that you're talking about you have to be like okay well they're not into this type of thing so then you in your brain you're telling jokes and at the same time you're revising your set you know so it just comes with time of like yeah. being on stage and getting the timing and it's an art form yeah knowing how long to wait for people laughing because sometimes you, you get nervous and you just keep going but you need to give that kind of space for people to enjoy it and interpret and and they need that time to go oh yeah that's happened to me too because that's when it's funny for them when they listen to you and go oh my god i've been in that same situation they need to kind of relive it in their head for a second so you got to know how long that space is and so it just it takes time it's and really an interactive art form then. It's it, not just... It is. Which is fascinating to you. It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't. It's a solo performance, but it is but, a performance with the audience. Yeah, that's wacky. So, yeah, so that takes some time. And then I, I realized I was really good at writing a set, and I had really good stage presence. So I had some things going for me right from the beginning, because you need the audience to trust you when you're doing stand-up. If you don't have that trust, you don't have the audience. And so just within a few seconds, you got to get up on stage and kind of command the stage and let people know, hey, it's okay. It's, it's going to be fine. Yeah. I got your back. This yeah. is going to be fun. You're going to enjoy it. Yeah. I had that. So I had that going for me because I didn't, I didn't just immediately lose the audience. So I, they were mine to lose to mm -hmm. start, which is a great place to start from. But then, you know, I had bad sets and didn't know how to deal with... Um, hecklers and Ugh, the that, worst. that oh, I, got, I wasn't on stage for a month after one time I got heckled I was just like I'm never doing it again you know, <laughs> it's horrible the thing that just drives me crazy I go to a lot of stand-ups I, I, I stand-up comedy because I, I love it so much and mm -hmm. the hecklers make me crazy because like you were saying about that moment of saying I've got you audience you're in my care mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then some jackass likely drunk um, makes some rude comment mm -hmm. or gets mad or does this thing where they cross their arms yes. and they're pissed at whatever you're talking about you know whatever that is and they decided that loud conversation that with doing their person it to next every, to them but yeah and they're doing it to the whole audience yes. suddenly now all the attention is on this yes. person and we don't the rest of the audience doesn't feel cared for or exactly. protected or safe even it's weird it I don't is think it's a realize, violation it really it does feel like yeah that. I mean, this probably sounds like hyperbole to a lot of people but i've been in audiences where somebody makes a comment or does something and it just changes the entire oh, yeah. dynamic of the room yep. and then the rest of us it takes us a long time to get you may never there. get back. Yes, you may never it's get so back. Rude. And as as the stand-up person, you have to know instinctively like, "Oh, I have to deal with this mm -hmm. right now because nobody's listening to anything I say after that moment until I address that person. Yeah. It's almost like you're the, um, there, there's a schoolyard bully and you're the kind <laughs> you're the of the teacher. head of the, of the well, you're the head of the weirdos, right? And all the weirdos are yes. standing behind you, which is the audience. Yes. And we're all like, are you going to protect us? Take from care the of this. Yeah. yeah. That's what it feels like, yeah. you know? Tell the guy who's boss. 
you know yeah. like you sort of need that moment yeah. of like and you don't even have to so much as like it's not like a win-lose situation it's just like shutting it down you have just, to shut it down yeah. and and as, the quicker you can shut it down the faster the audience is back with you and listening to you again mm-hmm. even if they're looking at you they're still thinking about that guy it's until true. you've addressed it it's so, absolutely true that's how i started taking improv is i was like oh i'm not real good at that oh interesting <laughs> yeah yeah, did that help? It did help a lot. As a matter of fact, I loved improv so much I stopped doing stand-up because <laughs> I fell in love with improv and yeah. it was a whole different art form and uh, one that I really needed because I wasn't good at collaborating or 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 letting somebody else take the lead or yeah. you know, just the listening skills required for improv. I didn't have any of that. And I was like, okay, well, I learned a lot from stand-up, but I kind of feel done now. Mm-hmm. Kind of feel like I got everything out of it that I wanted to get, surprisingly, because I thought I'd do it forever. Yeah, and the listening thing is just so... I, mean, I, t- I talk about that a lot on this show, but the, the idea that as a stand-up performer, you're you're talking. You're the only one, hopefully, talking. <laughs> but the whole audience is also talking. They're just doing mm-hmm. it in silence. Mm-hmm. They're responding non-verbally. Their mm-hmm. body language, all the things that they're doing. Yeah. You, on the stage, you're ha- you're having to pick up on that whole yes. thing, on this like deeply intuitive level yeah the lean forward it's such an amazing thing to watch a a master and even a non-master it's just such a fascinating thing to watch comedians in their art form yeah i love it so much it's fun to watch i I remember i used to always be in awe of chris rock because he was one of the (laughs) few that could actually no matter what room he was in he commanded 100 percent, and everybody in that room was going yes Mm. Yes, oh, I've been there. Oh, I know that situation. No matter black, white, young, old, male, female, they were with him. Mm-hmm. And so few comedians have that thing where just everybody is like nodding and leaning forward and like they're into it and just, yeah, he had Yeah, that. and it's interesting how comics, how they're all so different. Like a Robin Williams was like, you took a balloon and a full up balloon and you just cut the end and you watch it zoom around the room <laughs> and you're just and you're trying, trying to follow you're trying to follow it and keep and keep up and you're excited you're like this you know it's yeah it's exciting to watch somebody like that yeah you know it's also wonderful i love it were you uh, nursing a broken heart for a long time then as you were working through the stand up stuff uh, yeah it probably took me I mean, a good solid month of like crying every night, oh. listening to sad songs, and like sure. you know. Did you have a go-to song? I I don't know why I was like into La Vie and Rose that <laughs> month. It just every time I'd hear, it, I'd be like, oh god, I don't even know. It's French. I don't yeah. know what they're saying, but it it just it had my heart, and and that one and. Um, it was a Nina Simone song. I can't even think which one it was now that just had me in tears freaking every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not great. It's, not, it's, it's great. funny it's now, funny. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I even knew at the time, like, I know this is going to be funny like a year from now. Sure. But right now, it's not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, was just, it was a crazy time. It was a lot of transformation because I'd been with her for so long that you sort of, in a way, you you stop your personal growth a little bit because you've become the second half of another person Mm -hmm. and so you when you're with somebody for 14 years even if it's a healthy relationship when it ends you're like okay who is who am i again who's just me and so there was just a, a lot of personal growth happening in that like year period where i had separated from her i was kind of just starting to date and seeing a bunch of people and like eh, do I fit with this person do I eh, do I want to do I just want to be single you know and 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 I wasn't 
I was just so personally unhappy that I just really 100% focused on my career. And my career was going so well. Like, I was getting all these acting gigs, and I was like, I think this was possible in San Diego. There's not a ton of acting work there, but there's also not a huge pool of people. So you, if you're decent, you kind of rise to the top pretty fast, and you start getting offered gigs regularly. So mm -hmm. I was actually making income as an actor and like taking classes and like starting to come up to LA for auditions and take and I took my first second city class and I just was like wow this is pretty awesome so I just a hundred percent focused on that because it was the only thing that I felt like was going right at mm -hmm. the time so what happened next because I know you've had some interesting upheavals here and there so what what was your next step then as you started to, to go out of the stand-up and into improv and then mm -hmm. what you, did you make the decision around that same time to come here or what I did I um, that's when I met Tony and Tony and I were both doing stand-up at the time in San Diego and so we kept running into each other at gigs and Tony just for the listeners is your fiance is my fiance right mm -hmm. and a boy a man that's a man that's a man <laughs> who knew uh, surprised Sleeps everyone <laughs> it's like my parents finally got used to the idea of me marrying a woman and walking me down the aisle it's like no 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 you were married to a woman now that's all it's like wait a minute 10 years ago you couldn't handle this now you can't handle that i'm <laughs> dating a man like just, come on come on that's keep up hilarious uh so yeah so i met tony and and it, it definitely was not like sparks flying not in the positive direction of her. we actually were quite adversarial <laughs> when we first met awesome. we um we just really pushed each other's buttons um in so many ways god i, I can't even I, I can't even say like it was just so many things we just i got on his nerves he has a lot of energy though too he's, he's very intense energy he's very intense and he's incredibly honest mm. and so he was one of the few people i think because i was doing well in san diego and and people were almost kind of treating me with kid gloves a little bit where he was like yeah no who the fuck do you think you are and i was like oh, i'm really ready for that kind of honesty and so i got very stubborn and we just kind of butted heads a lot um but at the same time it intrigued me because here's this person who's just laying it all on the line of like this is who i am if you can't handle it i don't really care mm. and that of course you know how interesting that is yeah it's the sure. person that you most want to know is the person who's like Ugh. right so bad boys <laughs> bad boys bad. yeah and he was very different than he doesn't strike me as a bad boy so much maybe in his past yeah and we'll get into that later yeah. but when he him, was younger but. he's actually this beautiful teddy bear of a soul oh, he's a that, good guy when that, I, like people are scared of because he's so intimidating looking mm -hmm. that they assume he's a bad boy mm -hmm. he's, he's a he's a strong he's big yeah he's burly like a bulldog yeah guy. yeah yeah all right so where did things start to go oh wait a minute yeah. uh oddly and enough also, when that happened i'm curious uh, since you self-identified as a lesbian this yeah. whole time that whoops that must have been like well, wait what what is going it on it was interesting <laughs> it was i mean i knew as soon as i as soon as i started dating again i had an interest in both men and women so he wasn't like the only guy i dated but it was interesting after having been with a woman for so long, simply just like, oh, there's chin hair poking me when I kiss. I forgot that happens. Had or, you ever been chest hair with or, a man? I had, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. I, I had in like high school. From okay. like 16 to about 22, 
I dated mostly men. Got it. And then oh, that's right, because you're bisexual. Yeah. Husband. And I then 22 to like 25 was kind of both. Mm. And then I started leaning towards women. So it's kind of been this weird spectrum where it hasn't ever it's a period where it was only guys and a period where it was only women and it's a period where it was both and so. you know it's interesting because I've read stuff um, and I've heard from a couple of my friends who are bisexual and they get they get weirdly picked upon that yeah. by, by the opposite communities yes. saying you know you just haven't picked a side yet and kind I, of I find that fascinating too did you uh, experience that? yeah I mean there's a, this was also the 90s which was a different time when i was coming out and and you kind of couldn't be bisexual back then not openly mm. because of that like uh lesbians for sure did not want to be around you if you were bisexual it was like some sort of violation like you're on the other team and you're a spy or something and it was just really a weird reaction from certain groups and then men were kind of like yeah aren't all women bisexual oh. <laughs> i was like i'm not trying to right. fucking tiddly you. Yeah. I, yeah this is not for your benefit dude i'm just telling you who i am mm. uh, so you tend to kind of keep that inside and and for sure um, my ex-wife was not that comfortable with it. So, and because as soon as you're with a woman, people identify you as a lesbian. And I just didn't dissuade that mm. as much as I could have or should have because she was uncomfortable with it. And Isn't I was with her and I didn't intend to be with anybody else. So why did it matter what anybody else labeled me as? I was happy to sure. say I was lesbian. The tiny pieces of ourselves that we tuck away yes. in boxes to make our, our lovers comfortable. Yeah. Is the boxes start to pile up after a while. Yeah. And then you've got a, you know, it the, sure the luggage department at Macy's and you're I, thinking, where did yes. this come from? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was my fault and I didn't know any better. It's all of our fault. We all we all do it yeah. because, you know, we're with a person that we love and we want to make them happy. Yes. But but it's not it's in the, the best interest of no, either of you and of you don't realize it at the time yeah. that it's dishonesty it would be interesting if you know you could look at it metaphorically as let's just say every time i made an allowance that that helped you but hurt me helped you make you feel more comfortable around me yeah i began removing a part of my body say so i start with right. pinky and then the next finger and the next finger and if you looked at it in that respect by the time you are done and you're in this middle of this relationship where you've given up so much of yourself yeah. to make the other person happy you're just a stump basically yeah. you know yeah but we don't think about it like that because no. it's emotions and you don't really notice how much you chip away at your emotional health mm-hmm. in in placating another person's yeah. really uh, insecurities right yep very much what, so what would your partner carry not i'm not as a whole what would your partner carry if if like i'm a you know if you said i'm a bisexual yeah. how does that hurt right her right it doesn't because because the trust should be there right that and if it's that not, doesn't then mean a anything exactly. yeah exactly so it should have been something we should have been able to be comfortable about it mm. and the fact that we weren't should have been a red flag. <laughs> yeah. But I was too dumb to know that at the time. And I, you know. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, We've all been there. You know, the red flags on the field. You're like, wow, yeah. there's sure a lot of red flags around here. <laughs> what are these doing here? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I notice them at all. Perry, you make a parachute out of the red flags and you jump <laughs> out the window and hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. So, Tony is got is under your skin. Yes. He's giving For you, sure. So, what switched over to? Huh. Uh, oddly enough, it was it was Valentine's Day, 
and I had been dating this guy that we'd broken up multiple times. I don't know why I was still with him. It was like not healthy at all. We were kind of like addicted to each other. And this was like the last straw the last straw and I was upset and I'd been crying all day and a friend of mine had was saying he was going to have like a house party uh, this was when they were were trying to make cannabis legal and so this was like a let's make it legal kind of party and it just happened to be down the street from where I had an apartment at the time I was like god I, I've got to just get out of the house I can't sit here and wallow in the self-pity any longer. Sure. I've been crying on We're and off all day. Right? <laughs> There's nothing else for me to do except go to a party mm. and forget about all of this. And I walk in, and it was like literally like the king and I, some enchanted evening when you see the person across the room. And yeah. I saw him, and I was like, oh, my God, Tony Kim is here. And like my heart did that thing. And he looked at me with the same, like it was like there was all these people standing in between us, and they just went, and separated Separated. and he just like was right here even though he was across the room and his intense gaze at me I knew he was thinking the same thing I was thinking I'm like oh shit uh there might I I might have some feelings for this guy like other than I can't stand him (laughs) he pisses me off all the time I'm like and so yeah we ended up like dancing together and I think because I didn't expect to see him there and so, because when I did, and I had that immediate reaction, that's when I realized, I'm like, oh, I, I really feel something for this guy. So. Yeah. You can always tell you like somebody when they make you want to throw up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So that's when it changed from like, he's this guy I know, to, yeah, who is this guy? And so he was doing stand-up, you were doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. So you joined forces. Do you move in together right away? Do you just decide no. to start dating? What we happens? started dating, but mm-hmm. but we got exclusive pretty quick no we didn't actually no we were still dating other people for a little bit but we got close very quickly and even though we didn't move in or anything within like a month we were talking about like moving to LA because he had always wanted to move to LA to pursue stand-up comedy and I had always wanted to move to LA to pursue acting Um, I had just about finished doing stand-up at this point I was like at the very end and he was still kind of doing it but we both had this desire to move to LA together Mm. And we were both like, okay, well, we're grown-ups here. Like, could we possibly talk about doing this with this budding relationship happening and just make a promise that we are going to be adults and move to Los Angeles and not fuck each other over if things don't work out, like, romantically? Could we... Because this is a goal that we both have. And you were in your late 30s at this point? I had just... I. I know I was 41. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I turned yeah. 40 the year that I got divorced. A real grown-up person. I mean, it was so, when they talk about turning 40, that was like the the all the the oats got sowed and all of all of the midlife crisis things happened and You had a midlife crisis? I I mean just a, a crisis of who I was, sure. you know, of like I, so configuring second, out. Cuz you had had one after yeah. the breakup and now you had a second Well, period. no, this is the same time period. Like, same time period. Yeah, got it, yeah. got it, got it. From okay. from it the time like that I time. Okay, Yeah, it. it was like two years total got it but um yeah so I was 41 I got divorced at 40 and this was 41 Mm. um yeah we just started talking about moving to LA and seeing if we could maybe make that happen as two people together versus because I couldn't make it work for me financially by myself and I was really scared I didn't know like the same thing that everybody thought thinks when they're moving to LA is like 
how do I get a survival job where I'm not going to be working 70 hours a week Which to make it, enough yeah, rent to make right. it to make it worth being here because I won't ever have time to audition. Exactly. You I got to have time to audition. Thing. Yeah, that doesn't and, make it moot. Yeah, right. Exactly. Otherwise, I might as well just stay in San Diego and sure. commute. It's not that far. Mm. And so that's what I did for a couple of years. And it worked just fine. But I was getting to that point where I was like... No, if I want to go to the next level, I really need to be in L.A. Just the mindset and and being able to go to a party. I can't say yes to those type of things from San Diego. I can only go to an audition and come back or go to a gig and come back. I can't make any connections. So we both were at that point at the same time. So we decided, you know what, let's give it a shot. So within three months, we moved to Los Angeles. And was it hard It was. Because I think I remember at that Christmas party that you said something about, y'all, did you live in your car or was that my imagination? That was after. That was So we moved to Los Angeles and within a month of us moving to Los Angeles, and I bra- basically broke ties with pretty much my whole life because everything in San Diego had to do with my ex-wife and her family and my friends were tied up with it. So I kind of just like left all of San Diego. I'm not that connected with my family in Kansas City. So I was pretty alone when I moved to Los Angeles. And then a month later, my dad passed away. Mm. And it was shocking because he had a heart attack, like massive heart attack from one day to the next. He was only 75. So it wasn't like, oh, he had this prolonged illness. We knew it was coming. No, it was like from one day to the next, he was just gone. That's awful. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and, and then I had this unexpected amount of money come to me that I was like, that was his retirement. This isn't mine. Like, Mm. what do I do with this? Paid off all my bills and bought a car and it was great. But then, I I was like freaking out inside being in LA and being with this guy that I barely knew and then having this sort of rug pulled out from under me of like the one stability person in my life had just died and so I kind of had like an existential crisis and we ended up going on the road we ended up leaving Los Angeles and going on a road trip that lasted for months you and Tony, Tony what was your I. what was the the goal of it the, the goal was that we both started going through a, a spiritual enlightenment at that time. We were both atheists or, or agnostic or on that sort of side of the spectrum. Um, I, I, <laughs> I was, like to look at it as a spectrum. It is, it, you know, when I look at it through my life, it's been like a <laughs> more belief, less belief, sure. a lot of belief, no belief. It's a spectrum. Um, so at that point in my life, I had been Taoist for a long time. And that's a philosophy, not a religion. You know, and so I was very nature-based, science-based. I believed in all of that. And God, to me, was like maybe some sort of energy. Um, and then all of a sudden, we both had an awakening at the same time, within the, a couple of months of each other, moving to L.A. And we came into a bunch of new knowledge that was kind of downloaded. Um, this is at a time when I guess everybody's kind of having a spiritual awakening right now. It's just that time on the planet where, where we're having a, a larger perspective, like when... Waking up, I like to call waking it. Waking up, People exactly. Waking up. We had a waking up moment mm. and we freaked out. Mm. We freaked out. We freaked Why did the it fuck freak out. you out? Um, first of all, when you're atheist, to have God be like, hi, uh, I've been here the whole time. You just decided to close the door. Uh, was... A shock like my whole belief system kind of just got turned upside down on like 
my paradigm was gone. Did anything or anyone facilitate that? You picked up a leaflet or was it more no. like something from the inside out? It actually happened to him first. So he'd be better at like describing like what was the facilitation for him. Okay, I'll ask him when I talk to him. We were doing a lot of honestly we found God through math. Math. We threw, and he ha, he's a nuclear scientist, so his background was nuclear physics, and I'd always been interested in physics and metaphysics and, and the, the cosmology of our universe. And so when we started talking about things, we started Googling shit, like dividing by zero and, you know, all of these, these ideas that are mathematical ideas are the Fibonacci sequence mm. and sacred geometry, and we're like, okay, well, it all keeps leading back to the same place. What is this? You know, it's like, oh, shit, it, it's the pattern of the universe. It's the divine creation. It's God. Oh, crap. And so we found it together, but he really understood it first. He, he, he had this understanding of it that, that just shifted him, like, instantly. And he got started getting downloads of information about the structure of the universe. And Explain to people what that means. I, I understand, but I, I think a lot of people are like, what, on the computer? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it is kind of like plugging in. It's like, you know, the way they describe it in The Matrix, where you literally plug in to universal knowledge. And it's just some something where you wake up one day and suddenly you know things that you didn't know the day before. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like things that are that you didn't have any privy to before. And it's and it's not that the information wasn't there or accessible. It's that you were closed off to it. You had that door closed. And so the moment you say okay, I'm open. I'm willing to see things maybe a little bit differently than how I've looked at them before. That's it. You get that information instantly. If you are ready to handle it, you start getting information. Were you scared? Oh, yeah. I was terrified. Why? Uh, he got... He changed instantly. He started talking in ways he'd never talked before. Um, he was saying things that... It wasn't the same person that I'd known, like, that I met in San Diego. He, like, just instantly changed and it started bringing up all of his unhealed places because he had a lot of trauma anger his fear yeah he had a lot of trauma he'll talk about that and it started coming out and so it triggered me and and we had this weird i feel like we were meant to be together because all our trauma triggered each other and in order for me to heal from the things that i needed to heal from i needed someone exactly like him to be the person he was to trigger me to, for my passiveness to be addressed and for my... Um, uh, Have you been insulted? Is that... Yeah, yeah you know. So you had to pull all that stuff right. out. And yeah. we both were... We went through trauma at a very young age. Like, he went through his things from, like, 5 to 10, and I went through my things from, like, 5 to 10. So it was in these formative years where I feel like it was important that we suffered trauma at the same age because psychologically it did something to us that only that person would know how to heal if that makes any sense at all it makes complete sense so so you operated as each other's mirror and correct and it's really interesting because almost i suppose when you're going through it with someone if you're if you already have acknowledged that they've gone through the same thing then their healing i suppose pose acts like a salve to your own it did not in the beginning it did later in the beginning it it was frustrating (laughs) because i didn't go through it at the same pace he did he Mm. started it Mm -hmm. and then i could see that something was changing in him and i wanted it 
but I also wasn't quite ready for it. And so I sort of was like in the beginning, sort of like pulled through the enlightenment process unwillingly. I had a certain amount of willingness, otherwise it wouldn't have happened. You know, you have to at least to, say to like, heal. I'm open to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but Had you known, you know, some people don't remember their trauma. Did you know it was always, did you know it was there? I did. I, I did have repressed memories, but I, they flooded back to me when I was 16. Oh. So I, I knew that all of that had happened, even though I'd had like repressed memories from, from between five and 10. Were you able to um, address your uh, the person that victimized you? Or? No, unfortunately not, because he had pa it was my grandfather, so he okay. had passed away by that time. Yeah. And um, the other person was some random person in Florida when we were on vacation that mm. that abused me in the ocean of all things. Um, and and it, honestly, the the moments of abuse that happened in my life were less traumatic than the culture of abuse that I was growing up in because it was my family that really facilitated it. How do you mean? Uh, my mom took me to be babysat by my grandfather and she'd been abused by him. I'm so like, she knew better. She knew better, but she didn't know how to protect me. Mm. And so I grew up in this family where we didn't talk about those things and we, we hid them. And so that to me was way more damaging than the actual event because the actual event was not that traumatic. Like when you hear people talk about being raped or things and I'm like, my heart goes out to them when they talk about this devastatingly violent experience. It was not that for me. It was more that, that I then had to go home and like not talk about it and not address it and then pretend like... It wasn't you that put me in that situation did to you be victimized. Talk to your mom about it later. I did when when I got the memories came back to me at sixteen, and I was like, "Hey, look, this happened to me." And she's like, "Oh yeah, it happened to me too." And oh, I was Jesus like, "Jesus Christ!" <laughs> yeah, like, what do you mean it happened to you too? Oh yeah, and it happened to your sister, and it happened to your aunt, and every female in the family. Why has it been a legacy? Why of that? would you put me in that situation? What did she say? She's like, I didn't know any better. You know, she had a lot of denial. She mm -hmm. just, her, her way of coping was denial. And she said to me, like, well, your father and I wanted to go out to dinner, and we didn't have money to afford dinner and a movie and a babysitter. And I was like, oh, my God, you fucking sold me out for dinner and a movie? Like, my heart exploded. Like, and I was just done. Like, all my trust was shattered at that point. So that that was what I had to get over was my relationship with my mother way less than what happened with my grandfather because mm, it was the culture of abuse that I grew up in of, of just like we don't talk about these things yeah, and being we sweep them like under the rug slaughter. And, yes and and it happened for so many women for generations mm. and so I on the one hand I can forgive her for that and go like she didn't know any but she that was she could not cope any better than she did or she would have never put me in that situation she was so passive she couldn't even protect herself much less her family so yeah on one hand i can forgive that on another it's like eh, i gotta heal from that yeah because my trust in people was just like it was very i was very arm's length with people for many many years because i just didn't have that trust in people at all 
And so that was the thing for me. I was very oddly codependent um, and passive and passive aggressive. And I had these things that I needed to heal from that I wasn't even aware of. Mm. And he, for some reason, brought them out in me the way that I brought out my passive aggressiveness and my codependency immediately triggered him. So all of the things that we needed to heal from we triggered <laughs> in each other and wow. were mirrors for that. And so it was horrible at first. We were fighting constantly. We were like where is this coming from? And and we were even told by people like, you probably would be better off alone because you're trying to heal from this and you're making it worse for each other. But at the same time, it, it actually made things go faster. It accelerated the healing for us. And it was almost like, I kind of had this feeling like the universe was like, we have a job for you and we can't give it to you until you're done with this part of your life. So let's quickly get through this and then you can move on. So, so it just happened that the two of us together were just, it, it was some kind of... So why the road trip then? In the the midst road of trip this? was that we literally freaked out and panicked to the point that we didn't know what to do and we weren't functional. We both felt like we had died. We both had had a near-death experience because we got in a car wreck together. Um, we, we hit a median going about 35 miles an hour and the car flipped three times through the air and then landed on the hood of the car and skidded about 100 feet on the top of the car and we got out and walked away from it as a Fiat. So anybody that wants a Fiat, I'm telling you the thing is freaking safe. <laughs> All the airbags went off and I, I, there's no possible way that we should have just gotten out and walked away from that car with like some cuts and so I got a bruise from the from seat the seatbelt and he had some road rash from where his arm had been outside the window and mm -hmm. you know got scraped but uh, that was the extent of our injuries from at least ICU like in the hospital broken bones all kinds of you know mm -hmm. long recovery it wasn't like that and so we kind of freaked out from that and both kind of this feeling of lightness that we were dead I felt like I was walking on air for like weeks after that where I wasn't and my feet weren't actually touching the ground and so I wasn't 100% convinced I wasn't dead and that freaked me out and we started talking about like well remember that movie Beetlejuice where they get the handbook for the recently deceased. We're like, dang it, we need a handbook. We need a handbook for this because we are not going through this well. We are not functional right now and we don't know what to do and there's nobody to help us through this process. And the next day, the Course in Miracles arrived at my door along with a return to love for Marianne Williamson. That and you I had ordered? Like, nope. What? Neither of us had ordered these books. And I, and I tried to play it off real cool like, Tony must have ordered these, so I'll just take them from the Amazon guy and be like, sure, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, open it up and I see the books. And I'm like, the books you ordered are here. He's like, I didn't order any books. And that chills, like chills went down my spine. He's like, what did we get? And I'm like, we got a book called The Course in Miracles. Ooh, I and I, the shivers. I mean, literally goosebumps just talking about now. He's like, what? And I opened it up and read the first page of like, this is a required course, only the time that you take to actually read it is up to you but it's you know required reading and I was just, I started bawling like I was like oh my god this is exactly what we asked for now I found out like four months later that my mother had sent me those on a whim just like oh she'd probably like these but the timing literally the day after I said we need a handbook just like out of jest you know and I'm like and and it was so many experiences that we had like that that were 
coincidental mm. and synchronous. But mm. when you have a hundred of them in a hundred mm. days, you start freaking out. And it was just that, you know, we'd basically had all these miracles kind of stored up in escrow and we'd, you know, been doing this for so long that they couldn't get to us. Miracles in so escrow. I love they, that. That's what they were. Mm. You know, we finally opened up to the idea that they were real. They just came in droves. You know, it was all these multiple times a day. Sometimes we were getting these coincidental, like, stories that would be on Google right when we were talking about it. It'd be information we needed to understand. Or we'd walk around the block and we'd meet someone that would have information that we needed that never in a million years. We were in the flow. We were in the flow. And and because I'd never been there before, I didn't know how to handle it. And he was kind of freaking out at the same time, having the same feeling. I'm like, I don't know if we're ready for L.A. Because the energy that's here is really overwhelming us. So we kind of had this feeling like it has something to do with L.A. We got to get out of L.A. We got to get our mind straight. Like, let's just let's just go on the road, just the two of us, and get out of all this energy. And maybe we can figure this out. And so we got this crazy harebrained idea. Literally in the middle of the night, we packed some bags. We got in the car. No phones, no GPS, no nothing, and started driving on all the old Indian routes around the country. No um, highways whatsoever. What do you mean? I'm going to stop you really quick because the thing just came on. I'm going to turn it off really quick. This is so fascinating. Hold on. I can hear it, and that means my microphone can hear it. Oh, yeah. What is that? Okay. It's still going, though. What is it? It'll stop. It's the heater. Oh. Don't you know it's hot in here? <laughs> Actually, it cooled off a lot. Um, okay. <clears throat> uh, what do you mean by Indian routes? What, is, what was uh, that? Like Route 66 oh, okay, is an old it, Indian it. route, but okay. it's not a highway. Yeah. It's a, it's not a an interstate. It's a highway. Okay. You know what I mean? Sure, like sure. a inner, uh, just a like Highway 101 versus the five. Got it. So we took all of those roads through the U.S. for several months, and we tried to come back to L.A. And I was like, Did you work along the way? I mean, what did no, you? No, we okay. lived on my dad's dowry. Basically, it was like this. You know, something I'd always wanted to do was take a long road trip across the United States, and this was kind of like his way of saying, Here you go. Yeah. Because I didn't feel like it was my money. Like I said, it wasn't mine, and so this was the best way for me to to cope. And so we just drove mm. for months and months and months. How long? It was, we initially left in November and went back to Kansas City to go through my dad's things and kind of filled the car up with all the things that, that I, that you I wanted. wanted. Mm -hmm. um, that must have been quite an experience. Yeah, that was eye-opening. A was, person's life and yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a weird thing. It is. It's just stuff, and then suddenly it becomes the person. Right. And it's not anything that you ever think about, but then you walk into their house. I remember walking into his closet, and his smell hit me because mm. all his clothes were still in there, and I just started bawling, and that's when I was like, oh, my God, he's gone. You know, like, I can't just talk to him. So that was the first trip, and then we tried to go back to L.A. because things were, like, kind of good between us on the road trip. And then we got back, and we immediately started fighting again. So were you living out of the car? Were you staying in hotels? Both. We were, like, we would stay in a hotel, and then one night, and then we would sleep in the car one night. And then mm -hmm. we'd stay in a hotel, and we'd sleep in the car for a night or two. And so we, because we had money at that time. Mm -hmm. And so we could kind of, you know, yeah, it was glamorous camping, for sure. Yeah. Uh, we got back to L.A., and we started fighting instantly. And we we're like, fuck, it's L.A. It's L.A. There's something, we can't handle the energy here. We're not ready for it. Because we felt like these newborn babies, like when people talk about being reborn. I was like, oh, I get it now. I feel like, because you have a whole new 
brain functioning system and way of looking at the world. So you, I felt like a baby and mm-hmm. I just was not prepared for L.A. And it became suddenly more important to deal with this than it did to deal with the acting. Even though I said, like, oh, I want to be a better actor and I want to do this, it, it became more important for me as a person to heal from all the things I needed to heal from. Which turned out to make me a better, better actor. actor. It was it odd did. that sure. the thing that I asked for ended up being I had to become a better person, not a better at pretending to do things. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, we went back on the road. Um, we came back to L.A. once or twice through the trip and just didn't feel ready to be here. And by the time we had been on the road until f- March, it was March at this point, um, we just had a, I mean, the whole road trip is, I can't, it would be a whole podcast on its own. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So many crazy things well, happened on name it. name one thing or two things or three. Uh, name six things. Okay, <laughs> well, let's just stay with synchronicity-wise. Um, there, was, there was a moment in Colorado where we were arguing, and it, I think it had something to do with the fact that I was just so dead inside and I wasn't able to like really see the beauty around me. And we were all in this, we're in Colorado for God's sakes. It's gorgeous. And I'm like, I'm just not. Uh, yes, I see it, but I'm not. I don't feel it in my soul. Something is wrong with me. Like I can't see this. And we turned the corner, and sun rays were coming through the sun, and it was on the mountain. It was like pinks and purples. It was literally the most beautiful thing ever in existence. And I started bawling, and he's like. So you don't see that? <laughs> all right, all right, I see it, I see it. You know, it's like it's like I was asking for that opening, you know, and and so God was like, all right, here you go. This is, if you don't see this, like it's not me, it's you. <laughs> so and it, it was one fucking night in four corners where we were fighting, and uh, God, He literally. I think we were like in the middle of just breaking up, but you can't break up when you're in the middle of a road trip and neither of you have anywhere to go and you have one car. You know, 50 first dates where you like wake up and you're together and by the end of the night you're broken up. That was our life like daily for months. So we'd had a big fight and there were times when he didn't know how to get me out of the way that I was thinking. So he would do something just straight up bizarre. Or, or something to snap me out of, like, this thought process that I was in. It's, like, zero degrees outside. We're in the middle of Four Corners in February. There's nobody on the road. He pulls the car over and gets out of the car and just starts stripping down, like, completely. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, you're going to leave me now, now that I'm here just naked in the middle of Four Corners? Do you have that in you to just do that? And I'm like, no, get in the car. And he starts walking down the highway, butt-ass naked, to to get me to not leave him, to get me to not leave him in that situation, in in whatever it was that was happening in that moment. But there was like all that's just one of I can't even tell you like how many times. Of, yeah, just lots of. It. What made you decide then to head back to L.A.? What, how did you know when it was time? We ran out of money. Oh, that's <laughs> great, great way to know. We went through the entire amount of money and then started selling things out of the car because we still had like stuff from my dad and stuff with us, and uh, we knew that like. We had lost our apartment by that point. We we went back at one point, put everything in storage. Um, we were just, we were broke. And it was like, okay, well, we have to go somewhere. And the day that we woke up and it was like, we got to sell 
this Xbox right now or we don't have gas or money to eat or any way to get home. And there was a trucker there that was just like, all right, what do you got to sell? Because he could see it on my face. I was fucking desperate. I'd like never been in this situation where like I didn't know how I was going to get home. I, I'm in Nebraska, nowhere near California, and we have zero dollars. Like, I didn't know what to do. And so, I, you know, he's like, well, you go and talk to people. You go find truckers that'll, you know, I'm like, well, why can't you do it? He's like, because I look at me. I like, nobody's going to talk to me. I, I look scary. You ne it needs to be a woman, you know, you go approach these people and tell them, you know, we have stuff to sell. And so I did, I got up my courage and I'm like, okay, I'm just start talking to random strangers at a truck stop. And this guy comes over and he's like, all right, what do you got to sell? And he just starts buying everything out of the car, <laughs> like hundreds of dollars. And he's like, have you guys eaten today? I'm like, no, we, we haven't eaten. He's like, come inside. And he bought us breakfast. Oh and my gosh. Like it just was, angel. he was an angel in that moment. And just, it just reaffirmed my whole belief in everything that I've been saying all this time that it was real. And, you know, it was, just, it was one of those moments. It was just like, I didn't know people were this good, you mm. know? So yeah, we had to come back. And when we got back, we had nothing. We had gone through everything and so we did. We lived in the car for six months. And uh, so, on top of the road trip, then you were in the car. On top of the oh, road was trip. that like? Would you just like, shower at the gym or something? We or? did. We had a gym membership. Um, thank you, LA Fitness. You saved our lives. <laughs> thank you for these seventy LA Fitness around Los Angeles that we could go to at any point. Uh, there was one near I was working. I ca we came back and and somehow I got a job within a day. Doing what? Telemarketing. Oh Jesus. Yeah. yeah, worst job ever. Um, great company, Every, but everybody should do that at some point uh, in their life. Man, I did great that when I was, acting training. Oh God, it's the it's so demoralized. It's the worst. It was marketer. It was so hard. Yeah, it was so hard, but it, it was you know yeah. it was what I needed, and they were the most beautiful company, loving people. Oh, like good. it made it a joy to be there, to be around them, to, to do this horrible job. <laughs> so, you know, it gave me somewhere to be and it happened to be right on a street where the, the orange line ran through and so it was easy to like sleep there because it wasn't, it was a main street but it wasn't like the houses had a, a wall of plants and stuff to, to keep them from hearing the orange line. So I could park right by work and we'd just park in different places every night because you can't like people start seeing your car night after night and you know they're gonna call they're gonna call so how did you take care of things like having a period or having oh to God. go to the bathroom or that was the worst the period was the worst i'm telling you that was like because because la fitness is only open 6 a.m to 11 so between 11 p.m and 6 a.m you don't get to go to the bathroom <laughs> or you go to the bathroom on the side of the road somewhere so yeah i yeah i i there's nothing like changing a tampon outside in the middle of the in, road in the yeah. middle of the road yeah. yeah but thank god it's 3 a.m so nobody's paying attention and yeah. six months it's a long time it's a, yeah it was i think it was actually it was five i'm, I'm lying it was five months but it felt like a so, year yeah yeah and i think honestly the worst part of it was just that you had I mean, we joked about it. It was like, okay, well, the trunk is our closet and the um, kitchen is our back seat. And, and we had names for each part of the car because like where we kept things. And you have to constantly get out and rearrange the car because it gets 
cluttered so what fast. What car was this that you were sleeping in it? Because you're both pretty tall. It was a Jetta. Oh, Jesus. It was a Jetta. Yeah. So shout out to Jetta. It's possible to live in a Jetta for five months with all of your things and still have room to lay down and sleep. Were you afraid at all, safety-wise? I mean, I imagine um, there's stuff that goes along with that. There was, there was one night... Um, I mean, Tony's military, so I'm sure that yeah. makes it feel safer. But. I definitely felt safer with him, but there were moments when, you know, I was alone. I remember I came out of, oh, FedEx, FedEx and Kinko's uh, for Internet. You know, that's where you go to do your submissions and, and brush your teeth at 11 o'clock at night. Um, I'd, I wasn't feeling one. I'd been in the bathroom for a long time, and... Tony had already left the Kinkos and he'd gone to the car and I didn't come out for a long time. And so he started to panic that somebody had picked me up. Like I'd come out before him and he'd missed me. And because he saw a van, like he pays attention. He saw a van that had been parked near us. And when he came out, the van was gone. And so he started panicking that somebody had picked me up. And so he started driving around the neighborhood, panicking, looking for me. Mm. And I came out of the Kinko's and his car, the car's gone and we don't have a phone. And so I'm standing there, like, trying not to have a fucking meltdown and scream. And, like, I just, I was freaking out inside. And I'm just like, he'll be back, he'll be back, he'll be back, he'll be back, he'll be back. You know, it's this mantra in my head. He's coming back, he'll be fine. He just went for something, something happened, he'll be back. He's not going to leave me here, you know? Like, but you don't have that knowledge and you don't have a phone. And so you have to rely on this other person to be your person. And what year is this, just real quick? Uh, that was 2014. Got it. Yeah. And so... I don't know, five, 10 minutes went by maybe. Not not that long, but long enough that it felt like an eternity. And he came back and he's like bawling. He's bawling. He's like, oh my God, you're okay. And I'm like, what happened? He's like, I thought somebody had taken you. Because that was a fear of, you know, like if you don't have somewhere to call your home and you're just out in the mercy of like living in a parking lot or a street somewhere that somebody will take you. And so I didn't realize until that moment that he had that constant fear in him and he just didn't say anything. Like he held that all inside that he was really like, he was taking charge of my safety, but never said it. And so I didn't, I, I didn't really have too many of those moments because I felt pretty safe with him. Uh, and I was the one that was working at the time. I found the job. And so if I wasn't with him, I was at work. And when I, we were together, otherwise, we were at the, at the gym or, you know, we were mm -hmm. in the car or we went somewhere together. We'd go to FedEx or we'd go to Barnes & Noble and just so kind of pass time. So did it take six months to... It took six months for you to, to, to build up, up enough money to get a place. Because LA ain't cheap. Because LA ain't cheap. We had enough money to pay all the bills we had. We finally got a phone that we split between us. Mm. Um, we were able to pay storage because we had a storage unit that had all of our things in it. And you wanted to stay in LA because of, of your dreams. Because of our dreams. Yeah. And, and, and the good thing about that road trip was that it... It made us 100% sure that L.A. was where we wanted to be. Yes, we are coming back here with a purpose, with new resolve, knowing who we are, knowing that we want to be together. You know, all of these things got resolved for us on that trip. And so we were there purposefully, but it was difficult because now we'd put ourselves in a hole of like, now we have to come back from being homeless. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I used to call it luxuriously homeless because we had a car, which is way different than not. You know, um, but just things like food, like I put on 25 pounds because we were eating 
packaged foods packaged so, prepackaged yeah. foods because you can't cook and we were living off the food bank and it's like white bread and peanut butter and not good stuff and I would be eating and just like crying because I'm like putting all this weight on but I didn't have a choice and just it was difficult to be so to have everything so not settled and you know because you can't you can't put roots anywhere and so anytime anybody wanted a piece of paper of like yeah. where's your birth certificate i'm like what was tony doing for work this whole time he didn't he wasn't able to find a job i think what did he do like um, there was a month where he was out of work um and then i think he started finding like security work or doing like that makes sense yeah sure fits. yeah <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, knowing him, he was a doorman or whatever. He'd find it, he was starting to find gig work, but it wasn't regular work. Mm. And then... And where was that moment of going, okay, it's time that we can get out of the car and get oh, into an apartment? Oh, God. It just, it, we found a place that the deposit was only $300. So all we had to do now was save up the rent for, one, for a month and a half or two months of rent and then the deposit. And when we found that place with that low deposit, it was like, okay, we, there's a possibility we can actually save this up and still pay all the bills that we have to pay on my income. Um, and it was, it was a place called the Rosalind, which I know I've talked to a lot of people. They've all been through the Rosalind. It's funny. It's like this rite of passage for actors to go through the Rosalind. I think there's a documentary about that place. Is there? That wouldn't surprise me. It's a it unique super place. Familiar. At the the um, hotel Artemis was filmed there. Mm. If you, they used the Rosalind as the base for that story. But uh, it's yeah, it's a it's a low income place. It's got like market rate at the top, but the whole bottom part is low income, and so it's got low income requirement and and just a, a low deposit. And so we were able to save that up, but to get in there. It was so difficult. You have to like call and call and call and go by and, and then get on the list and then fill out your application, then spend a month getting approved. And so we were ready, but we couldn't until we got the approval of like, yes, we have a spot for you. And we drove down there that day and like saw the place. We're like, it's 300 square feet. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, we moved in immediately. Wow. And that was the end of our homelessness. And did that shift everything again? It did. It was it was like it was so beautiful to have a place to call home and a place to put things where we could like start to it, we were still submitting and we were still working on our careers, but it is very difficult to do when you're in the car. Mm. And How so, did you not give up? I mean, that's what oh I think, God. because I think a lot of homeless people, and yes, you have Just, the extra shelter of the car and yeah. each other, but that sense of hopelessness, I imagine, yeah. creeps in quite a lot. It did. I, I remember about four months in, I was starting to get really weary, and I got off work one night on a Friday night, and I just, I just, like, I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, I can't. Like, how much longer is this going to be? I need an end date. I can't keep doing this, like, not knowing how much longer it's going to be. Like, this is killing me. Like, my legs were swelling up from sleeping in the car. Like, my ankles got, like, huge. And um, I just kind of lost. I had a breakdown. And I just cried. And I, and I think... I didn't realize I had been holding all of it in because I was trying to be strong and I didn't want them to think like, oh, you're this weak person and you can't tell me that this is hard for you or something. I don't know what was happening in my head, but I broke down and he's like, 
it's okay. Like, this is not easy. You have a right to be upset right now. And so I just cried for like an hour. And I was like, I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And he's like, me either. So for some reason, getting that was very cathartic. It got out of my system. And I kind of had like this new, like, however long it takes. We're here for a reason. However long it takes, I have the ability to endure this and we'll get through it and at some point very soon I will be looking back and going remember when we were homeless <laughs> and I knew it I knew it and I just had to like know that that day was coming and there would be an end date this was not a nebulous thing that was going to last forever were you able to practice self-care within the realm of your confines because like you were saying that um like eating the crappy food but were you yeah. working out at the gym or i was you were, yeah. i was working out at the gym and, and it was disheartening because i kept seeing the weight pack on and like it's really hard to like work out and see calories. your body getting worse. Yeah, it's hard to so, fight calories though. I mean, because you're eating yeah, shit food sure. and yeah, so like that was disheartening, but I tried the best that I could mm -hmm. to just keep at my normal routine. I think that was very important was keeping as much routine as possible of like these are the things that make me functional. Mm -hmm. So that my brain said, yeah, this is fine. This is just what it is right now. You know, it's not forever. Yeah, and so and so you get into the new you get into the new apartment. Yeah, and now what's the new plan? Uh, as far as what? As Where did you go from there? Um, we started doing background work mm. and got on a place called Book Talent. Brought us on, and we were doing background work. And then I continued with um, working at. I worked at that place for four years. While I was doing, um, just still auditioning and just trying to build up some kind of career, you know, we're always working towards being a full-time actor. So it was really, that was the focus of just like really driving hard on like m networking and meeting people. Mm. And, and then for some reason I had this brilliant idea. I'm like, Second City, I forgot about that place. Like I should check in there. And uh, I got work study there. Yeah, because it's not cheap to take classes. It is course, not. But they do allow not, you to work. And but they, pay off. they allowed me to do work study. And so I started doing that. And just whenever I could pick up an hour here, an hour there, I'd go and do work study and then put myself through the program there. And, and you so. did conservatory? I did. I graduated yeah. last October. So yeah. it was a fun experience. It's amazing. All these things, I mean, yeah. it's stunning to me that you have, you have lived many lifetimes <laughs> within your lifetime. I have. Where are you now? What's right now? Uh, 2019 was good because I just I joined SAG in December, which was a goal of mine. Congratulations! Thank you. And that for was people huge. that don't know, that means that you've put in an X amount of hours. Correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm now as an actor union, <sighs> um, which is exciting. I don't. You know. I mean, yeah, it just feels like. A goal that I've had for so long to finally be there and I didn't want to join before I was ready like a lot of people just say oh yeah I joined the union I'm like yeah but do you have the training and the background and the resume and to did go up against up? people who are union yeah did you do it as a background person or did you do it as no, a principal I, you know what's weird I got my SAG eligibility on almost the very first job that I did 10 years ago mm. I did a web series in San Diego that I had a speaking part on and in the middle of the web series it went sag mm. and so the moment your project becomes sag if you have a speaking part you're eligible 
So I had my eligibility for almost 10 years, but I didn't have the training or the resume or the need to be union yet. So That's a lot of uh, self-understanding, I feel like. Yeah, I, I don't think it's, I don't, think it's very efficacious to join before you're ready because you can't compete. You're going against people who, you know, like, what if I went up for a party against Nicole Kidman and I have background work on my resume? What What's the point of showing up? Mm -hmm. I don't have the training or the skills necessary. Background work was great for teaching me how to be on set and how to show up on time and to find out what all the roles are on set and what's expected of me and what proper behavior is and, you know, who does what. Like, those things are really good to learn, and I think background work is great for that, but you're not going anywhere from background work. You're just making a paycheck and learning how to be a good actor. So you still have to take the classes and get the training and and get the jobs. It is similar to stand up where you, some of it is just on the job. You got to show up and figure out how to be this person in real time, mm -hmm. you know. And so mm -hmm. that only happens by getting the work. So yeah. So and somewhere along the way, you got proposed to. Somewhere along the way, you know, we decided that we would be engaged forever. Because that way we'd all always be engaged with each other and oh, not fun. like taking each other for granted. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that we will ever actually get married. I don't know that I even want to. To me, that piece of paper is a totally different thing than the commitment that you make to that person. Mm. So, I, you know, whatever. Yeah. I don't care if we ever get married. I just like being with him. Yeah, that's great. All right, so what's what's coming up for you? What's coming up for me? Oh, God, I'm so focused on voiceover right now. That's really the thing that I'm like... Like cartoons and things? Or? Uh, all, all kinds, like narration. I just bought a mic set up at home, so I'd like to do audiobooks. But my end goal is definitely narration. Like that, to me, would just be the bee's knees to get up every day and go to like Nickelodeon studio and be, you know, sure. Being characters. Yeah. Playing silly. I think that'd be so much fun. I think it'd be so much fun. I got to do one audition for Nickelodeon last year and I was just overjoyed with the opportunity to even walk into the studio, walk into their sound booth, see it for real and be there and audition. There was like eight people in the booth. It was like the producer, the director, the writer. There were two writers, um, the casting person, the casting associate, uh, an executive producer they were all there for that audition I was like fucking sweating I was sweating so bad and I was sick and I was like do not let them show them do not show them you are sick your voice is fine because I had lost my voice and like I was like you are going to power through this and just like you were healthy and well and I went in there and like killed it I was like so proud of myself because like, awesome. I was so nervous. It was Nickelodeon, you sure. know. So, yeah. So that is really my focus. One hundred percent is that, uh, and then writing. I like to write a lot. So. You could write this. I would watch this movie. I am writing this. I'm okay. writing this in a couple of ways. I'm writing this as the road trip movie. Yes, that makes total sense because, to me. Oh, yeah. What a great road trip! And we have so many specifics, uh, and then also as like a journey to enlightenment, kind of a self-help, kind of like this is what happens when a comedian, atheistic comedian finds God through math with another atheistic comedian who finds God through math and then they lose their fucking minds and, you know, so it's like, here's, here's the, here's the path to enlightenment. Sure. <laughs> you know, that serpentine at best. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How can people find you if they want to? People can find me. I don't social media much, to be honest with you. I have a Facebook 
which is Lauren Holiday, actress Lauren Holiday. Actress Lauren Holiday. So two L's or one? One L. One L. One L. And then my Twitter is Lauren Holiday. Um, I have a website, which is Lauren Holiday. My YouTube is up, the Lauren Holiday Voices. So any of those places, you can find me. Perfect. And I'll put links on heyhumanpodcast.com. Yeah, Lauren, this is an extraordinary conversation. You have, you've been through some stuff. And yeah. here you are. Yeah. Here you are. And one of my most favorite things about this show is that when I talk to people like you who have been through some stuff, because we all have been through mm -hmm. stuff, it's that reminder that, A, the people, whoever's listening, your story is their story mm -hmm. in some way, mm -hmm. some little tiny way, to know that, you know, we've got each other's back. We're not alone. Other people mm -hmm. are going through this stuff. You survived yeah. on a lot of levels. Yeah, I didn't go back home to... San Diego or Kansas City. But you survived or, in here, too. Like, yeah. your heart and your head, you survived. Right. I didn't lose myself completely. Yeah. And even in the moments where you did, just a bit, you yeah. still found your way back. And I think that that gives... Um, it's the light at the end of the tunnel instead of the train. Yeah. And I think we need that so desperately. I you think know? sometimes losing your head a little bit actually helps you find your sanity when sure. you come back. You must never lose that spark of madness, <laughs> as Robin Williams said. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This yeah. was a pleasure. Oh, mine too. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Be well.